I'm gonna get you to grab your Bibles if you brought them with you and, and jump into Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, we're in a series. Uh, this is the end of it called He Came, We Go. And this morning, really, you'll understand why we've titled the series this. And what we've been looking at is the, the ever-restoring life that's found in Christ. That We said the first week that the message of Christmas is an ever-restoring message. And that's a it's a message of redemption. It's a message of restoration. This, sin is, this world is broken because of sin. Our relationship with God is severed because of our sin, but Christ has come. Jesus came to earth so that he might die for our sins, be resurrected, so that we might be restored back to God and experience the life that we were made for, which is to know him. And so now in Christ, because of this message, we can live in that relationship that's ever restoring us uh, into his image, into his likeness as we grow uh, in him more and more. But, but also, it's not just an ever-restoring message. Uh, when we experience the message, he calls us to be a part of an ever-restoring mission. And that is now, we are meant to experience the work of Jesus in our life and then proclaim that to others, that it's in us and then through us, that we've been called to tell humanity, hey, that they can be reconciled to God, that we have been reconciled and now we are agents of reconciliation. And this morning, we're gonna see that this mission means that we are a part of an ever-restoring movement, that what Jesus came to accomplish was the, was the work of salvation so that uh, after he ascended to heaven, until he returns again, his story is being told and lives are being changed for eternity. And that's what we're gonna look at this morning. We are engrafted into an ever-restoring movement. Matthew chapter 28, we're gonna see uh, what I'm gonna call in a moment the bookend of the Christmas story, the bookend of the Christmas story. Matthew 28, verse 18, it's a great commission. If you're there, say, I'm there. It says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, some of you may be curious as to why in a Christmas uh, sermon, I would be reading uh, the Great Commission. Like you're, you're at the end of the story. Why in the world would you read the end of the story uh, when this is the Christmas season? And it's because I, I mentioned this in week one. The Christmas story does not end in Bethlehem. Oftentimes we think, what's Christmas? Well, Christmas is when Jesus was born. But the Christmas story is not just when Jesus arrived in Bethlehem. It's, it's also when he ascended in Jerusalem. And it's everything in between. That It starts with his arrival uh, as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem, and it ends with him as the resurrected Lord who ascends back to the right hand of the Father. That's the Christmas story. It's, it's not just Jesus came, it's what Jesus did and what Jesus is doing right now through you and me. That's the Christmas story. And we wanna recapture this, and here's what I wanna do, just so you'll see this very clearly. The book ends of the Christmas story is, when you compare the beginning of the story, the arrival of, of, of Jesus, and when you compare it to this verse here, the ascension, when Jesus departs and goes back into heaven, when you see those two stories, you'll understand there's some similarities, but there's some contrasting, what I would say, contrasting similarities. You're gonna see it as a book, and here's what I mean. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. When you think about what we read about in week one with the, the angels coming and announcing Jesus' birth and Jesus there in Bethlehem with Mary and Joseph, and now when you see the verse that we're looking at now, here's what you discover. You discover at the beginning of the story, Jesus leaves heaven to come to earth. 
But at the end of the story, Jesus leaves earth to go back to heaven. You see, at the beginning of the story, Jesus descends as a helpless baby to be placed in a lowly manger. But at the end of the story, Jesus ascends as the resurrected Lord to be seated at the Father's right hand. You see, at the beginning of the story, Jesus humbles himself to become a servant. But at the end of the story, Jesus is exalted as the King of glory. At the beginning of the story, the angels say, come and see. And at the end of the story, Jesus tells us to go and tell. The beginning of the story, the shepherds are invited, but at the end of the story, the, the disciples are sent. And that's the contrast between, we see the book end of this, what Jesus did in his arrival, what he accomplished in his, his death and his resurrection, he now is continuing this work through you and me. And what we read when we read the Great Commission is, here's what I would call it, the Great Commission is God's plan A of redeeming the world. That's what the Great Commission is. It is God's plan of redeeming the world. See, what Jesus has accomplished for us is, is, is restoring the relationship. And that story of redemption and restoration is now being advanced through this movement called the church. That, that what we are part of, the church is not just a place that you go. It's not just a meeting you attend. It's a people that God has redeemed to himself and he has now called us to a mission. And when we say yes to the mission, we are engrafted into a movement of God restoring the world to himself. And listen, this movement will continue until the day that Christ comes back again. And this is what we discover here. And so listen, so look at me for a moment. You're God's plan A. A you. You're God's plan A to redeem the world. And here is the news we've got to hear. And there is no plan B. If this world is going to know about the restoring power of Jesus, it's going to happen through you and me. Being obedient to what Jesus has called us to be as his people and going and proclaiming the story of what he has done and inviting others into a relationship with him. We are God's plan A. There is no plan B. And so if we're gonna see the world transformed by the power of the gospel and men and women eternally changed for the glory of God, then we have got to say yes to this mission and be engrafted into this movement. And here's the thing. I know that for some of you, you're hearing this, like the Great Commission and this, we're playing God's plan A. And for some of you are like, I don't know enough. I, I'm not there. I'm kind of a new Christian or maybe I've been a Christian for a long time, but I'm not like the pastor type or the leader type or the life group you know, guy type. I'm, I'm just an average Christian. Well, here's what I want you to know. The Great Commission is for every believer, regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey. If you are a follower of Christ, the Great Commission is for you. And not only is it for you, it is possible for you to begin the journey of fulfilling the Great Commission, regardless of whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or for five years or for 50 years. And by the way, can I tell you, it, you, don't, you can't opt out of, it's the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion, right? It's we are called to this. If you are a disciple in the room, then you are called to be a disciple making disciple. That's God's purpose for you and gets God's plan for the world. So here's what I wanna do, because I know for some of us, you're, if you're like me, you're like, okay, that's a lot of weight. I'm, I'm God's plan A, there is no plan B. I feel a little overwhelmed right now. What I wanna do is I wanna walk through the Great Commission. I wanna show you three truths that will let you breathe a little bit. Because in these three truths, you're gonna find out that you have everything you need right now in Christ to do what God's called you to do. 
And you don't have to be overwhelmed because it's not about you doing it alone. It's about what God wants to do in you and through you. You with me? All right, so let's grab our Bibles. Let's walk through it. Three truths we see here about the Great Commission, about this sending that God does in our life. Number one, I want you to know, first of all, we see here that we are sent by his power. We are sent by his power. So yes, we're sent as God's plan A, but we are sent by his power. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I love this. He says, all authority. Everybody say all. I'm gonna blow your mind for a moment. The word all here in the original language, it means all, all right? It means everything. What Jesus is declaring here, now understand the timeline. Jesus, born as a, as a baby there in Bethlehem, grew up to be a great teacher, a miracle worker, one who revealed who God was, the way in which we can know God, and then he made it possible through his death. He is now resurrected, and here Jesus is just moments before he ascends back to heaven, standing with his disciples, and he says, I want you to understand something about who I am and what I've accomplished. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That means that there is nothing in the universe that Jesus doesn't rule and reign over. All authority in heaven and on earth, which means there's nothing in all of creation, both visible and invisible, that Jesus is not king and Lord over all authority. This authority here is this idea of power, that he rules and he reigns above it all. And this is what we often miss in the story of Christmas. We celebrate the baby in the manger and we get all warm and fuzzy over this cute little baby. And man, we just wanna hold baby Jesus, right? And our best Ricky Bobby voice. But that baby in the manger, listen to this, he's the king of the universe. He reigns above everything. And this is exactly what the prophets of the Old Testament said would take place. When you go back and you read over and over and over again, you see the, this promised king that was gonna come, this promised Messiah that Jesus has come to be the fulfillment of, that he is one who possesses all power and authority. Look what Daniel says in Daniel chapter seven, verse 14. He prophesied about this. He says, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, language should serve him. Now, Paul's here for a moment because when Matthew is recording Jesus' words, he wants us to think about Daniel chapter seven. Jesus wants us to think about Daniel chapter seven when he gives the great commission. Now think about, Jesus says to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go make disciples of all peoples, all nations, all languages. That's the point Jesus is making. He wants us to see himself as the promised Messiah in Daniel seven fourteen. He was given dominion and glory in a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall never be destroyed. And Jesus is in essence saying what Daniel has said about me is true. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This echoes what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter two. If you remember in Philippians chapter two, uh, Paul kind of describes for us the humility that we find with Jesus's incarnation or him coming to earth. He talks about Jesus took on the form of man, put on skin, 
came to service, serve us. He was obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And then what does Paul say? Because of the resurrection of Jesus, look what he says here, Philippians chapter two, verse nine. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is standing here and he's saying, listen, all authority has been given to me, which means that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, every. There is not a person on the planet that's ever taken a breath who will not stand before King Jesus. And listen, and every single person has one of two options. They will either bow or they will bow. You say, I thought you said two options. They will bow or they will bow. It's two options. They will bow by his grace and mercy, responding by faith to the love that he has for them and they will submit willfully themselves to Jesus and say, be my king and Lord, reign in my life or they will stand before him in judgment and be forced to their knees to declare him as Lord in judgment. But make no mistake, listen to me, every, every knee will bow because Jesus has all, all authority and all power. Say, so why, why is that so important for us understanding the Great Commission? Because look what Jesus says. He says, go therefore. This is the response to that. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. In other words, in light of that, that is why you go. You're going not alone, but by my power. I, who have all authority and all power, am the one who is sending you. So when we say yes to the Great Commission, we are not going in our own strength and our own power and our own ability. We are going in the ones who has all power and all authority. We are going in his name. Therefore, we have what I would call a transferred authority. We represent the king of the universe. We are sent by his power. Last week, we saw Paul gave us a title as Christians. He says, you are ambassadors for Jesus. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is a person uh, who has been sent from one kingdom to deliver a message to foreign territory, to another kingdom that he does not belong to, but he's been sent to. And so an ambassador's job is to receive the message from his kingdom and to go and deliver it to the leader of another kingdom. And what's interesting about an ambassador, the reason that they can do that, they can leave their homeland and walk with a confidence and go into maybe the, the, the governing king or the president of another nation and deliver with confidence, regardless of what the message is, the message he's been sent with, it's because he is going not in his own authority, but in the authority of the one who sent him. Does that make sense? So if you have a U.S. ambassador going into, even if it's one of our enemies, if he's going to deliver a message, when he walks in to deliver that message, he is not doing so by his own power, but rather by the power of the one who sent him. So there is a confidence and an authority. Listen, do you realize when we, we stand before someone and, and with love and tenderness share the gospel and point people to Jesus and say, listen, Jesus is the only hope for you. We are not delivering that message on the basis of our own gifting, our own authority, our own right, our own power, but on the basis of the authority that belongs to Jesus, which is, by the way, all authority and all power. There should be a confidence that we walk in, not an arrogance like we're doing something, but in the humility of understanding there is a power that has been transferred to me. 
that I walk in now. And it gives us a confidence. That's number one. Here's number two. So we are sent by his power. Number two, we are sent for his purpose. We are sent for his purpose. And it's very clear what our purpose is. Look what he says in verse 19. He says, go therefore. So in other words, in light of the authority, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, let me teach you something about these two verses here, verse 19 and 20. Um, in, in the sentence structure here, and this is often missed in our English translations, there's really only one imperative in the Great Commission, one command. And everything else that we're instructed to do in the Great Commission is, is how we actually fulfill the command that we've been given. Nod, nod your head if you're with me. So if I was to do a survey, this is where we get confused. If I was to do a survey in here, and say, which, which word do you think is the command? Many of you might say, well, go, that's the command. That's gotta be the command, because it's a therefore go, right? But that's not the actual imperative or the command in the Great Commission. The command, the imperative of the Great Commission is make disciples. That's the only imperative you have there. Make disciples. So what is the purpose that we've been sent for by Jesus? It's to make disciples. That's our calling. So what, what does it mean to make a disciple? First of all, let's talk about what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is simply someone who follows Jesus, right? That's what a disciple is. It's someone who's been living life for themselves. They come to realize who Jesus is, what he has done for them. They, by faith, respond to Jesus and become what we called last week, Paul says, a new creation. They're born again into a new relationship with Jesus. And in that relationship, they now begin the journey of walking with Jesus, becoming like Jesus. That's the Christian life. It's a life of just being a disciple. It's following Jesus and learning how to live like him. It's experiencing his new life that he's given us. It's learning how to live in that new life. So that's what it means to be a disciple. So what does it mean to make a disciple? It is to find someone who does not have a relationship with Jesus, explain to them the gospel so that they too can respond by faith, be made into a new creation, and begin now the journey of following Jesus as king and Lord of their life. So in essence, here is the Great Commission. Eyes right here for a second. Our purpose is to be a disciple-making disciple. That's our purpose. Let me just sum up for you God's will for your life. It is to be a disciple, walk with him, know him, love him, serve him, become like him. And as you're doing that, make disciples, help others also follow him. So your purpose in life is to be a disciple-making disciple. Disciple. Now, let me give you some, that's good news, right? That's our purpose. That's easy enough like, to understand that. But here's, here's the problem. Um, what that means for us is if, if my purpose in life, if I've been redeemed to join this movement of making disciples, that means I'm a disciple-making disciple. As I follow Jesus, I bring others with me. That means that if I'm not making disciples, I am either a disobedient disciple or I'm not a disciple at all. So if, if, if he, go and make disciples. Who's he talking to? To disciples. So if I'm not making a disciple, that means that I'm most likely a disobedient disciple at best or not a disciple at worst. We need to feel the weight of that. We are called to make disciples. 
And if we're not making disciples, we're not answering the call. If we're not answering the call, we're living in disobedience. It's as simple as that. We make this thing so hard. And you're like, well, I'm working my way up. You don't need to work your way up. Your call is to be a disciple making disciples. You know what that means? Listen, for you to be effective at making a disciple, here's the only requirement. You ready for it? Be a disciple. If you're a disciple and I'm walking with Jesus, I don't have to be where somebody else is. Maybe they've known Christ for 20 years or 30 years and man, they've grown in the faith. I don't have to become them in order to make a disciple. The only thing I've gotta be to make a disciple is actually be a disciple. Follow Jesus as I'm, as I'm doing that, I'm bringing other people with me. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, Jesus tells us here. What does that look like? Practically speaking, I'm not gonna go into great detail on this. So, Make disciples. How do I do that? It's the word surrounding make disciples. First of all, going. Therefore, go. In the original language, the word would have been going make disciples. So as you live your life. So to me, it'd be a disciple making disciple means that I'm following Jesus. As I'm following Jesus, I'm aware that there are people around me everywhere I go, no matter what I'm doing, who are potential disciples that I'm called to make. And so as I'm moving through life, think about it like this. Think about the three arenas of your life. You ready for it? Location, where you live. Vocation, where you work. Recreation, where you play. Those are three circles of life that everybody in this room has. Where you live, where you work, where you play. Your location, your vocation, your recreation. Think about that. In your circle, your sphere of influence, as you're going to work, Make disciples. As you're in your neighborhood that God's playing, make disciples. As you're going to that, that, that basketball game for your kids and they got families there that may not know the Lord, make disciples. Going, make disciples. It means your head is up and you're aware that everywhere you go, there is a potential of making a disciple. Here's number two, baptizing them. Say, what is that about? We just celebrated life change and here's the consistency in every single one of these stories. So, when, when these boys and girls, men and women got in here, they, we told a little about their story. This is where my life was, and then I met Jesus. They, they were made into a disciple. They became a follower of Jesus. Forgiven of their sin, been made into a brand new person. And then there was a question that was asked at the end of every single one of them. Are you here today to declare that Jesus is your Lord? Why? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. To be, be belong to him means that we declare, you're Lord, I'm surrendering my life to you. And then here's the phrase you'll hear every single time. Because of that profession of faith, because you declare Jesus is Lord publicly, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death, they go under the water, raised in a brand new life. So when that person goes under the water, this is a point of identification. This is where they're publicly going, Jesus is my Lord and I'm not ashamed. And as I go under the water, that's exactly what Jesus did with my sin. He put it in the grave. And when they come out of the water, this is exactly, this is the new creation that Jesus has made me to be. I'm not the same person. So when we make a disciple, we need to help that disciple go public, identify. See, all of us who are followers of Jesus, who are obedient followers of Jesus, we're connected together. Why? Through this, this deal of baptism, we're connected as brothers and sisters who have proclaimed Christ as Lord and we have now demonstrated that together through being baptized into his name so that his identity becomes our identity. I'm no longer Todd Connors living in autonomy for myself. I am now been redeemed by Jesus and I am now a servant of Christ. 
So we make disciples by going. When they respond to the gospel, we baptize them. And then he says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So just think about that for a minute. Many times when we say teaching them to observe, we go, oh, I gotta follow the rules. Oh, like teaching to, to observe all that I've commanded you is following him, right? If we declare that he's Lord, obviously we're gonna obey what he says. And so as new Christians, as new creations, our, our job is to grow in our knowledge and understanding of who he is and what it looks like for me to live as him Lord over my life. And so my responsibility as a disciple maker is to be a disciple who's walking in obedience and teaching the people that I have led to Christ how they too should walk in obedience so that they would know what it looks like to follow Jesus. Again, we've made the Christian life so stinking hard. What does it look like? Okay, you baptize into his name, you become a believer. And now what's the Christian life? It's learning how to walk a new life in obedience to him. And then me as a disciple maker, it's me going, leading people to Christ, seeing that they're baptized, and then walking with them toward, toward maturity so that they can become, check this out, a disciple making disciple as well. So that they can become a disciple making disciple. This, this, this is the, the plan A. This is the brilliance of God at work. I make a disciple who makes a disciple who makes a disciple who makes a disciple who makes a disciple. And it goes on and on and on. And all of a sudden you see this life transformation in an entire family, in an entire community, in an entire state, in an entire nation, in an entire world but it requires obedience. I'm gonna show you something that's powerful. What does this look like? I'm gonna get some help. Some of you are gonna to have to help today and you'll just be surprised when you, it's time to help, all right? So I'm gonna be a disciple and I'm gonna say, okay, I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm gonna be a disciple-making disciple. Everybody say amen. I needed to hear that, all right? So I'm gonna go find me a disciple. So Brad, I need you to come and be my disciple. Um, would you wanna follow Jesus? Okay, so this is gonna fast forward. He's accepted Jesus. Everybody celebrate Brad. And um, so he's, he's now... Um, a disciple. So what I'm doing is, is, is I'm just gonna walk with Brad in this new journey. I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk with him toward some maturity. And as I'm doing that, there's gonna be a moment as I'm making a disciple. And again, I don't have to be further along. I just gotta be one step ahead of him, right? And so now I'm like, at some point I go, Brad, hey, listen, we're disciple making disciples. What I've been doing with you, go do with somebody else. So you gotta go make a disciple. And then when he does that, I'm gonna go and make another disciple. Marcus, would you be a disciple of mine, please, sir? I, I gotta, you knew I was coming to you. Um, so <laughs> Um, so Marcus is gonna be, Brad's getting a disciple. Hey, he's, he's getting his wife. He's gonna disciple his wife. That's good. Um, but we all know in that relationship, it would be the other way around. Uh, Stephanie would sure be making him a disciple. So Marcus is gonna be my disciple. And listen, Marcus, at some point, Brad's discipling Stephanie. At some point, look, we can't just keep this to ourselves. We gotta go make disciples who make disciples. So I need you to go find a disciple that you're gonna disciple. And now because he's done that, I'm gonna go find another disciple. Justin, would you be my disciple? I need, I need another disciple. I'll, I'll beat you to it. Um, you gotta be faster than that. All right, so Justin now is gonna be my disciple and they're gonna grab their disciples. And so now they're walking with them and they're growing in Christ. And so you guys make your way up here. Go ahead and make your way up here. And so at some point, you know, through this, this, this relationship, we're gonna get to the place where we go, uh, hey, look, we, you can't just keep this to yourself, bro. All right, you gotta give it away. All right, so you can't either. You, Stephanie, you're doing a great job. Shelby, we, we gotta go make disciples. So go, go make your disciple now. I'm gonna get me another one. And so, uh, Aaron, why don't you come up? Why don't you be my disciple, man? I, I need you. Your wife told me I need to make you a disciple. So, um, so Aaron now is gonna be my disciple and um, so we got all kinds of disciples coming up here. We're making more disciples. This is incredible. Uh, this is incredible. Um, all right, good. So 
We got another disciple, making disciple, all right? And uh, tell you what, we're not done yet. Let's go, get, let's go get some more disciples, all right? Let's go. We can't, we can't stay around. We gotta go get disciples, all right? This is what we're called to do. Coach, can you be my <laughs> disciple? Will you, will you do that? All right, so I got a disciple now. We're gonna come up. I need, I need y'all to move. Listen, going implies some action, all right? So let's get after it, all right? People need Jesus. Let's get after it. I need all my disciples who made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples, all to come up here for a second. You guys just line up right across the front here. I want you to see this for a second. All right, you guys, like, this is incredible, is it not? And here, here's, here's what I wanna do. Here's what I wanna do. Yeah, you can clap for them. They're, they're great disciples. So I want you to look around for a second. started with one person who says, I'm gonna make a disciple who makes a disciple. I want you to imagine that this represents, every time I went and got somebody, it represents one year. Within five years, one person can be, make this many disciples if they just invest in somebody. In five years, look, this is what one person can do. Now, I wanna, I wanna give you a couple of numbers here. I want you to imagine something for a moment. What's represented up here, it started with one. Imagine what this would look like if there was 100 disciple-making disciples, just 100. You know, our church runs around 23, 2,400 people every single Sunday. Imagine if just 100 of our people decided, I'm gonna make one disciple a year who makes disciples. You know what that would look like in five years? In five years, that would be 3,200 disciples of Jesus from just 100 people saying, I'm gonna go and make a disciple. Now imagine this, let's just say we had a 50% obedient rate because we said this is a command, right? All right, so we're, we're, we're either obedient or we're disobedient. So let's just say of the 23, 2400 people, we're less than 50%. Let's say 1000 people who call New Beginnings home would say, you know what? I'm gonna be obedient disciple because I'm gonna go be a disciple that makes disciple. You know what that means? We're gonna see 32,000 new disciples in five years. This is how cities and worlds are changed right here. That is why this is a brilliant plan A that God has given us with no plan B because when you do plan A, you don't need plan B. You guys give these disciple makers a hand for a moment. You say, I don't know that I can do that, man. I understand I've been sent by his power. I understand I've been sent for his purpose, but, but I just still feel inadequate. Well, here is number three. Number three is this, write this truth down. Listen to this. Not only are you sent by his power for his purpose, listen, you've been sent with his presence. You've been sent with his presence. Look what he says here at the end of verse 20. He says, and behold, in other words, and look, don't miss this. This is the point Jesus is making. Behold, I am with you always. Everybody say always. Always to the end of the age. The end of the age is a reference to what I would call the second advent. We have two advents in, in, in what we would see in God's big plan. The first advent is Christmas when Jesus came. Advent means arrival, when he arrived the first time. We're now sent to tell the world about the first arrival and to point them to the second arrival. And listen, here's what Jesus says. From the, between the time of, of my first coming and my second coming, I want my followers to know that as I'm sending you, I'm not sending you alone. I am with you. 
Now listen to the weight of this. Listen to the one who is with us. Jesus stands and says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples. And by the way, and when you go and make disciples, I want you to behold and see and remember you're not going alone. The one who has all power and all authority is actually going with you. How does he do this? It's through the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's it's through the, the Spirit of God living inside of us. This is why when you get into Luke's gospel, when you get to the Great Commission, Luke records Jesus's words, but he he records something that Jesus said that Matthew doesn't. Jesus tells his disciples, before you go, wait. Now, why wouldn't he say, hey, just get after it? He says, no, 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 no. This is what you're called to do, but before you do it, you need to wait because the gift of the Holy Spirit is coming. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he says in Acts chapter one, you will receive power and it will enable you to be witnesses. Why? Because it's not about your gifting and your talent and your ability and your knowledge and your understanding and your church experience and your ability to answer tons of questions that people who might be skeptical are asking you. It's the power of God in you through the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is why we as the church are so committed to prayer. This is why every Wednesday night at 6.30, we gather for an hour and a half to get on our face before God saying, God, would your spirit fill us? Would you let us be aware of your presence? Would you let us taste and see your goodness? Why? Because we're recognizing that we are ineffective on the mission at best if we do it in man's power and man's gifting and man's talent. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, here's the great news for you. You have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And by prayer and ongoing surrender, you can be filled with his spirit, which means he's with you. And when you encounter that person, and man, your hands are shaking because you're finally gonna have the nerve to have the conversation over a cup of coffee about where they stand with the Lord. And you're gonna really lead them in love toward Christ. And you have to say some hard things and hear some hard things. And it's gonna be awkward. You can take a deep breath and realize I'm not alone. I can't do it. You can't do it, but he can through you. See, that's why it's amazing. God's plan A is not us doing for, it's about God doing through. And that's where transformation happens. And this is what I'm begging you to hear and understand. You see, when God called Moses to go and deliver the people from slavery and bondage of Egypt, listen, he says to him, listen, you go and do this. And Moses' response is, I I, I can't. I don't, don't, don't talk well. And God's response to Moses was, I'm with you. When Joshua is commanded to go and conquer the land and Joshua is is scared, God's word to him was, be strong and courageous, not in your own power, but the Lord, your God is with you and he will hand them over to you. God has called us to conquer the land for his glory and his name, not through destruction, but through redemption. And he promises to go with us. Here's what I wanna do this morning. I wanna get us to bow our heads and, and just uh, contemplate a few questions this morning. And I want you to know this morning as we walk through this, these questions need to be rooted in you understanding that God loves you right where you are. God loves you right where you are. His grace is sufficient for you right where you are. So as we navigate through these questions, this is not about shame, this is not about guilt. This is about a reality check for where we are. 
And here's the first question when no one looking around, I'm gonna ask you to wrestle with, answer the question, am I a disciple? Am I a disciple? Am I really a follower of Jesus? And the question is not, did you pray a prayer, did you walk an aisle, or did you just get baptized? The question is, have you become a new creation? You've been born again. I want you to know that God loves you and he sent Christ to die for you, to pay the price for your sins. You cannot clean yourself up. You cannot change your own heart. You cannot make yourself acceptable to the Lord. But by his grace and mercy, he sent Christ to die in your place, to be resurrected, so that through him, you might receive the gift of being born again, becoming a new creation. If you are uncertain about that, you say, I don't know. Some of you are uncertain about it and you, you've been in church your whole life and that question mark of, do I know him is unsettled. I wanna encourage you this morning, today is a day to get that settled. There's some of you in this room, you know you're not a Christian, but man, you've played the game so long, you don't know how to exit. There's some of you, you, you know you need Christ, but your pride has gotten in the way. So if you answer that question this morning in your heart, I don't think I am a disciple. Or I don't know that I'm a disciple. I don't know if I've ever received Jesus. I want you to know that today is the day of salvation for you. Right now, where you are, you can pray a simple prayer. And again, this is a confession from your heart, not just words from a preacher. Jesus, I need a savior. I believe that you died and you resurrected. And I'm asking you to come and be my Lord. I wanna submit and surrender my life to you right now. I wanna know that I belong to you once and for all. Make me new. This morning, if that's the prayer you prayed, and you say, Pastor, this morning, just now, I, I prayed that to the Lord. I want this settled in my heart more than anything else. I'm gonna get you to do me a favor. Listen, don't be ashamed or embarrassed. I'm gonna get you just to stand up where you are. No one's looking around, but this is a moment where if Jesus is Lord and you got this settled, don't, don't let fear or pride keep you from making that declaration. Give you an opportunity to stand in here with people who love you so you can stand out there with the world that may not. So right now, if you prayed that prayer this morning, say, I'm getting this settled today. I'm gonna get you just to stand to your feet wherever you are and give you a moment. It takes a lot of courage. Jesus. Is there anybody else? Take so much courage. Is there anybody else?
All right, those of you in this room who say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, I want you just to look up at me. You say you're a disciple of Jesus. I'm gonna ask you a question. And listen, this is gonna take courage. I told you, this is not about shame. This is about reality, all right? I'm gonna get you to do me a favor. I want you to get you to confess something. If, you're, if you say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, but if the truth of your life is maybe outside your own children, outside of your own children, you would confess, I've never made one disciple. I've never led one person to Christ and discipled them. I've never, never done that. I just want you to slip your hand up. Say, man, I, so this is, takes, takes a lot of humility. Some of you are looking around to see if somebody else is gonna be honest. Say, I, just keep your hand up, look around the room. You're not alone. There's a lot of people. Raise your hand up high. And I'm gonna get some other people to join you in a second. Not with you, but keep your hand up. How many of you would confess yeah, I have made a disciple, but it's been a long time since I've made a disciple. Now, now look around the room. Listen, I, I'm, this is not to embarrass or shame you. This is to say, listen, put your hands down. You're missing your God-given purpose. You're missing your God-given purpose. And it's a shame for me to see you being in church five, 10, 15, 20 years and never having the thrill of living for the very purpose you were created for. And my challenge to you is for you to say, you know what? This is gonna be a defining moment in my life where I'm gonna repent of that disobedience and I'm gonna be a disciple-making disciple. I'm gonna be a person who's living on mission for Jesus. And my prayer for you is that as you surrender that, that you would ask God, God, give me a few names of people in my life already and let me reach one of them this year. Power of one, you saw it a moment ago. Imagine what would happen if you walked in obedience to it. So here's what we're gonna ask you to stand to your feet. We're gonna sing just for about a minute and a half to two minutes to give you time to think. And here's as we're singing, I want you to be thinking, God, give me names. God, forgive me. And God, would you give me one?